think about how delicately you hold your baby, you dress your baby, and you feed your baby. We do that because they're adorable, of course, but also because their skin is delicate. Know this. There is only one diaper brand that we recommend to give you the gentle protective care your little one needs. And that's Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Their Swaddler's diaper absorbs wetness better versus the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection to keep your baby's skin dry, healthy, and beautiful. And when you use Swaddler's in tandem with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, you'll keep your baby's skin healthy. The wipes are made from 100% plant-based cloth, and you won't have to worry about tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. That's right. So download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Okay, so you know I love good wordplay. And Third Love is crushing their wordplay here. When you have a bra that pinches or slips or just isn't comfortable at all or is comfortable but isn't your style, you've got problems. <laughs> How excited was Third Love when they thought of problems? Well done, Third Love. I see you. When you wear Third Love bras, you've got no problems. They fix the problem of size exclusivity with their famous half cup sizes that revolutionized the industry by giving more options to find a bra that fits. And they fixed the problem of guessing what bra will fit you with their virtual fitting room and other helpful guides. A bra size chart, a bra 101 education section that's basically an FAQ for all your burning questions, and a ton of great reviews from real people. My sister just texted me, 99 problems. But pinching <laughs> isn't one. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. I chased desire. I made sure I got what's mine. Welcome to a thrilling episode of We Can Do Hard Things. With us today is Gina Davis, <laughs> who is a two-time Academy Award-winning actor and has appeared in roles that became cultural landmarks, including Muriel Pritchett in The Accidental Tourist, Thelma in Thelma and Louise, and Dottie Henson, Abby's Idol <laughs> in A League of Their Own. She's also a world-class athlete, a member of the Genius Society Mensa, and is Ugh. now recognized for her advocacy for women and girls as founder and chair of the Emmy-winning nonprofit Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media, which engages film and television creators to dramatically increase the percentage of female characters and reduce gender stereotyping in media made for children. Her memoir, Dying of Politeness, is available now. Gina Davis, thank you for doing so many hard things. Thank you, Glennon. Wow, I sound good on paper. No, yes, you do. <laughs> you do. Damn you good. really do. And speaking of sounding, I just have to start with this. I just think it's so amazing that your mom spelled your name G-E-E-N-A, and you thought that was because she just wanted you to be special and unique, but 
Tell me why your mother told you she spelled it that way instead of G-I-N-A. I, I thought it was because she didn't know how to spell, oh. how you actually spell Gina, and that she thought she was making up the name. Right. And uh, oh, so cute that she didn't know how to spell it. So uh, when I was visiting one time, she, and she had been reading like little interviews or clippings about me, and she said, people seem to love your your name, the way your name is spelled. I said, I know, yeah, I just tell them you didn't know how to spell it. And she said, oh, no, 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 I uh I know I know exactly how to spell it. I grew up in an Italian neighborhood. I, I you know I know very well how you actually spell it. I said, really? Then why did you spell it that way? And she said, Well, I didn't want people to think it was China. <laughs> As in the China. So my entire adorable identity is based on. Fear of the vagina. <laughs> it's so good. It's too perfect for work. I mean, it's mm-hmm. this, our feminist icon, yes. warrior, her name originates from fear of vaginas. It's so good. <laughs> it's the best. It's the best. So can we start by talking about your parents a little bit? Because we already yes. did. We already told a really good one, a doozy. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I love, you say you were raised by New England parents who taught you that being polite was the most important thing in the world. Mm -hmm. Perhaps, Mm -hmm. Gina, even more Mm -hmm. important than life itself. Can you tell us the story about being eight years old and driving with your Uncle Jack? Yes, yes. So my parents and I were in a car driven by my great Uncle Jack, who was 99 Mm -hmm. at the time. And his wife is, uh, my aunt aunt is in the front seat, uh, passenger side. So we're driving home at night from a restaurant and it's quite a deserted uh, two lane street, no room on the sides. And every once in a while, he just veer into the oncoming lane and then oh, veer okay. back again and then veer back in the oncoming lane and back. But, uh, but the, you know, there haven't been any cars coming, but, you know, it was alarming. Uh, and uh, my parents didn't say anything. They didn't say anything. I think it was my mom. I was right behind Uncle Jack and she picked me up and put me in the middle between them because maybe I would die less right. when we had a head-on collision. <laughs> less dying. With someone. Uh, no, not realizing, of course, that I would now have a straight shot through the windshield. But uh, <laughs> So we're, we're continuing like that. And now he veers into the oncoming lane, you know, straddling the yellow line. But now there's a car coming and there's nowhere for either side to pull over. It was like a little narrow street and nobody, my parents don't say anything. Mm -hmm. And it's going to happen. We're going to have a head on collision with this car. Oh, my God. In seconds. They don't say anything. And finally, at the last instant, uh, Aunt Marion says, a little to the right, Jack. (laughs) And he just veers a little bit. And the car streaks past us so close that I could very easily see the faces, the horrified faces of the people (laughs) in the other car. And it really wasn't until much later that I realized my parents were willing to die or, and including kill their child uh, or allow their child to die rather than be impolite. Mm -hmm. And they could have done what Aunt Marion said. They could have said, Oh, Jack, please turn a little to turn to the right, please. Perhaps a normal person would have said, 
holy God, pull over, Jack. You're going to kill us all. Yeah, yeah. pull um, over and get out of the car. I'm driving the rest of the Yes. Way. And then, and then, then was... yeah, they say, I'm going to drive now. But that didn't happen. But I was literally only spared because of, uh, not because my parents spoke up, mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so interesting. One of the things that you talk about so much in the first part of your book is all of these feelings you had, which we hear from our own brains and women all the time about feeling too much. You say Mm -hmm. you felt too tall to hide. Mm -hmm. You once asked a pastor how to make boys like you. And he said, why don't you try being more quiet? Not so big sometime. Fuck you. Mm -hmm. And you you said, (laughs) you said my dream going up was to take up less space in the world. Right. I just right. felt like I was taking up too much space. What does that do to mm. us? Cause it's almost like not being polite. Like if you're right. a girl who's taking up too much space, did you always feel like you were impolite because you were existing? Right. Cause you were existing. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to, um, over exist. <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't want to push my existence on anybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was really true. Over exist. That's good. What is that about? Is it needs? Because when you think about what is the like crux of that sin of saying something? Hmm. Like, is it yeah. I have a need that is outside of what you're providing right now and I should just wait yes. to be provided? You say that you grew up even if someone was had a cup of ice water in their hands and was about to <laughs> hand it to you you were taught to say, no, no, thank you. I'm not thirsty. Even if you were thirsty and even if they were giving it to you. Right. So exactly. It was having needs. That was the embarrassing thing or the the thing that must be avoided at all times is, is having a need because that would be impolite um, to need anything from anybody. And, but on the other hand, their philosophy of my parents' philosophy was Give, 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 give. My parents would do anything for anybody. My dad fixed everybody's furnace and broken pipes and cars or whatever. Um, but not to take anything for yourself. Mm. So then you are a kid, you get a paper route, and you are abused by one of the men on your paper route. Mm-hmm. And in the wake of that, you come home and you tell your mom, and your mom goes to talk to him but never talks to you about it and mm-hmm. never presses charges or anything. So you right. say when it comes not to not talking about things, we New Englanders are gold medalists. We'll not talk about anything. Right. So right. how did the not talking about the abuse affect you? And what do you wish that they had done differently? Well, first of all, at, at 10, I had no idea <laughs> that there was anything between my legs besides that's where you pee. Like I had no, never heard the term your privates, nothing, nothing, nothing like that. So first it started, he just wanted to give me a big hug when I delivered the paper and he'd give me like uh, uh, Twinkies or something, you know, uh, every time I came in and, uh, and then he got long hugs. And then finally he started reaching down with his fingers and touching me. And, uh, and I didn't, feel shame. I didn't feel shock. I didn't, I I didn't know what, I just didn't know what it meant. It just seemed strange that that was happening. And so it went on for a while until one day I finally said to my mom, you know, what's so weird. I don't understand what this is, 
why he touches me like this. And I did it to her because I had no idea that it would mean anything to her either. And she flew through the sea like, like a rocket. She just went crazy. But then strode up the middle of the street and disappeared, you know, into his house and, uh, and everything. And I was like, what happened? What is this about? What, what, what? And it came back and said, you are never to go in his house again. You have to leave. You leave the paper at the, let alone, he's, you're not delivering his paper anymore, but you're still delivering it, but leave it at the bottom of the stairs. Mm -hmm. And didn't say anything about this is what it was about, or even, you know, he shouldn't have told There was no explanation mm -hmm. whatsoever about what happened. And so I, I felt like I did something so horrific oh. that she can't even tell me what it is. It's just so embarrassing. I've made such a horrible mistake that I don't know what it is. I loved that she acted on it immediately. Mm -hmm. You know, she wasn't polite about storming up the street and telling him, you are not, she will never touch her again and blah, blah, blah. But um, she didn't follow through with teaching me how to avoid something like that in the, in the future. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Thank you. Well, kind of like, it's so interesting as parents, like your cat died, right? Yeah. And then you were, they didn't talk to you about it. And, and I just relate to this as a parent so much. Like they didn't talk to you about your cat dying so that right. they wouldn't traumatize you. Yeah. But then you just felt traumatized. Like where the hell did my cat go? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. The cat got hit by a car and we were quite young. We were quite little. And we asked, you know, where's Sonny? We didn't see him. Oh, he ran away, but he's living with another family now. We're sure. And he's fine. And, uh, Oh, we were like, what? <laughs> what? He what? We're not gonna look for him. We're not gonna. Why does somebody else get our cat? I don't understand any of it. And on and on and on. And so began years of my brother and I trying to find out where Sonny is. Oh and my gosh. In another state, driving along, and if we saw a yellow cat on the side of the road, we're gonna stop the car. It could be sunny, and it just went on and on and on. And they must have thought, Jesus God, we made the wrong choice here, <laughs> because it didn't spare us no whatsoever from feeling pain, and it certainly tortured them. And I would imagine forever. that it gives you some kind of kids, some kind of shame too. It's like when you don't explain right. it right, whether it's the right. abuse or the leaving of the cat, the kid is left like, what did I do? Yeah. Yeah. Right? How am I supposed to process this? It made, right. no, it made no sense. My parents loved animals. They were obsessed with pets and animals and that they would say, oh, you know, He's totally fine. He's run away, but he's, I'm sure he's found a very nice family. Aren't we nice? Yeah. Are we, are we, <laughs> we're the nicest. Nobody's nicer than oh. us. Oh, <laughs> nobody. In fact, you're right. Nobody is nicer than us. That's how you knew it was a lie, Gina. There's no That's nicer family out there. Yeah. So There's then no you're nicer 12. Family than us. <laughs> you're yeah. 12. Yeah. And you read an article called Why Feminists Are Ruining the World. 
Right. And you thought, I will never be one of those terrible people. Yeah. Right? As God is my witness. (laughs) As God is my witness. I'd never heard the word. Nobody had ever, ever, ever talked about it. And uh, I was learning. It was um, a sort of political article about how horrible feminism was. And I thought, wow, this is something horrible. (laughs) Only women can be. And I am so now, at least I know now. You know what this thing is. You know what it's called, and I will never be that. So it's so hilarious that there she is. Pretty much the opposite happened. So you try to figure out how you're never going to catch feminism, and then and then I love this second wave feminism comes in, and there's all these shows, and this is so cool the way you talk about this. That Bewitched came Mm. to the screen, and I Dream of Genie. And reading this, I'm like, yeah, those are like cool shows about women having superpowers. But then you say, actually, they were largely about being told to sit on their magical talents by the men in their lives. Right. And then you say, this happened in like several of my marriages. (laughs) At which point I put down the book to laugh out loud. <laughs> well, you know, uh, it's not necessarily true, but uh, <laughs> what is this uh, about? It's a good line. What anyway. did you mean by that? Staying small to make men feel comfortable, I imagine. How has this happened well, in your life? Yes. And I'm not saying that I was forced to do that, mm-hmm. it was just how I operated, yes. you know. Um, I, I, I used to be incredibly shy when I first met men, and I, I've only later come to realize that I I think I felt like I didn't know how they wanted me to be. Mm-hmm. And if I could be shy for a little while and figure out what they seemed to like or want, um, then I could be that. But but I'm I'm gonna just hold my cards close to the vest until I figure out what's appealing to them. <laughs> <laughs> that did that work out well? That works out so good. It really does. <laughs> And then a little while in, you're like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds right. That tracks for yeah. me. You yes. turned yourself That's into a little the, bit of a pretzel. Yeah. That's the kick in the shorts of life because right. needs are needs. And you can just put those bad boys in a bottle like a genie for as long as you can, but they're going to come out. Yeah. 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 You're right. Yeah. <sighs> Pod Squad, we know about you. You, like us, pamper your pups with clothes, fluffy beds, toys all the days, any little thing their goodest hearts desires. Why then would we settle for burnt, smelly pellets in their dog dishes? Maybe you don't. Maybe you go with the farmer's dog like I do for Seamus, and you reap the benefits of giving your dog real, fresh, healthy food. It looks like real food because it is real food. It's made with human-grade kitchens with the same gentle cooking you'd use if you were preparing meals for your family. It's even fun signing up. You answer questions about your dog, like what health issues they might have, how old they are, what breed and personality they have, and more. You're not only getting fresh pre-portioned food, you're getting fresh pre-portioned food for your specific dog. And your dog may just have a newfound respect for their human 
Get 50% off your first box of fresh, healthy food at www.thefarmersdog.com slash hard things. Food made in human-grade kitchens with the same gentle cooking you'd use if you were preparing meals for your family. Maybe more. Get 50% off your first box of fresh, healthy food at www.thefarmersdog.com slash hard things. So when you decide to go into acting, Gina, Mm, mm -hmm. I don't know how to ask you this, but like you talk Mm. about when you're backstage, okay, and you're getting ready to do your acting. I don't even know if there's a backstage in film. Whatever, whatever, whatever sister. Okay. Just I don't know about acting. All right, you're you're preparing. Not on the to set. Act. I'm offset. There. Okay, yeah. you're offset. Whatever. In, a, in her in her trailer. Okay, and yeah, you're supposed go. to instead of manufacturing emotions, you're supposed to work with what you have. You say so. There's this scene where this character is supposed to be enraged and broken down. So you say you have to really prepare using your sense memory stuff. Hmm. What the holy hell? Does that mean what do you, how, what? (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, the way, the way I was approaching acting, I don't know what you would label this, but, but um, was if you have to find in yourself a time when you were sad or just, you know, bring up the emotion so that you can then act with that, you know, having that emotion. And so that's how I always uh, did things. But but after I majored in acting in college, once I was in New York, I had a, an acting teacher who was very big on using what you're already feeling. Mm. He'd have somebody perform a monologue and then he'd say, what happened to you um, before this t- earlier today? What happened on the way here? Well, I missed the fucking bus and I, you know, I couldn't believe it. I, I haven't paid my rent, whatever it was. And he said, do it again, but keep, keep that feeling. And you realize that no matter what you think the character should be feeling, you can add how you are actually feeling. Mm. It sounds like complicated, but it's actually very simple. But it's another layer. Even if it's, let's say you're doing a comedy, a funny scene, Mm -hmm. but your cat just died or whatever. I mean, just put that as a a subtext layer in there. Mm And that will help because any kind of emotion is energetic, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's powerful. Mm -hmm. So, so anyway, so I, I I thought I understood this and learned it, but then I had a screen test for the accidental tourist, this Mm -hmm. movie, the accidental tourist, this little movie, this little little movie, (laughs) some people watched it. I don't know if you heard of it. So I I had a screen test and I'd never done that before. And I was was very, very nervous. And um, so I was going to actually be on camera with William Hurt. And I knew there were three other women that were having a screen test too. It was a very, very, very nerve wracking. And one of the scenes was very emotional. I had to be very, very emotional. So they're getting ready, they're setting up and I'm, I'm behind the, you know, whatever and uh, backstage uh, <laughs> and uh, preparing and I'm thinking about dead cats and, uh, you know, whatever. I'm getting very, very emotional and I'm all ready. And then suddenly they say, uh, they say, uh, Gina, sorry, we broke a light. It's going to be about 10 minutes. <gasps> no, it's like, no, no. Oh no. I'll never, I'll never get that back again. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? They just ruined my life. They just, everything is ruined because now I won't be able to, 
up, actually. <laughs> yes, they ruined my life. It's terrible. I, everything is ruined. I won't get the part. <laughs> and uh, so then I'm, I'm like, I'm ready. I'm ready again. And they say, uh, okay, Gina, we're ready. It's about 30 seconds. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm so angry. And I'm so upset. And the hairdresser comes over to just like touch, touch up my hair right before I go out. And she accidentally, you know, those combs that have a point on yes. it and it stick yes. on the end. But she pokes me in the eye with a stick accidentally. Oh my God. And I'm like, you just ruined my life. Oh my God. You just, I was going to go out there and be upset. And I'm still upset. Thank you very much. Here I am. So it's like misery inception. It's like layers and layers. Oh, it's so good. Oh, I feel like yeah. we can use that but in life. Man, yeah. That was such a lesson. In, you know, in real time, I experienced an incredible lesson. Yeah. I love so it. So is acting just tremendously terrible then? <laughs> because you're always conjuring. Well, I mean, you're conjuring up your most like traumatic or upsetting emotional moments to be yeah, your Do you engine? always have to think about dead cats? No, no, no. And most scenes and most roles, that's rare. You know, it's, it's okay. not, you know it's, I'm, I'm worried about you, who are, <laughs> who are miserable 95% of the time. Uh, uh, but no, no, no. That, that, but, but you know, you have to get yourself in different kinds of feelings. You have to get yourself happy sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like in uh, some of the ways, there was a scene where Susan and I are driving along. And it says, uh, Thelma starts laughing uncontrollably. And I was like, oh, fuck, how do you, yeah. how do you laugh? First of all, how do you make yourself laugh? Out of oh nowhere, she hasn't done something funny. I just start laughing yeah. uncontrollably. I have to control myself enough to laugh uncontrollably. Yeah. So I have to be, and have it real, not that I'm, <laughs> you know, faking it. And so I'm like, fuck, how am I going to do that? And uh, so this time... I had a completely different idea. I decided I was going to try getting drunk uh, because, you know, you're much more likely to laugh uncontrollably. Yeah. Drunk, right? So I go to the props. Props guys will do anything you want. So I said, I need, I need a little alcohol in my trailer. So they bring a six pack and a bottle of vodka and put it in my, tra- in my refrigerator. And so I sneak back there and I like pound a couple of beers and do a shot of of vodka and nobody knows whatever. And I go out there and I get the car and then I see Susan sitting next to me and she doesn't know. And I'm going to tell her that's what I did. And I start laughing uncontrollably. And I'm like, oh, this is such a great idea. (laughs) And so I just would say take after take. I laugh uncontrollably because it's, I have this secret. Yeah. And so oh, it so was like, that scene went great. And uh, I said, yeah, no, I have to go lay down. That's my favorite <laughs> part. You had to take a nap. It was done for the day after that, right? I, would, I couldn't work the rest of the day, but he was like, who cares? It's fine, you know, whatever. I love uh, this. Can we talk oh, a little no. bit about Thelma and Louise? Yeah. Because for the rest um, yeah. of our lives. For the rest of our lives, yeah. yeah. So clearly... Women have feelings about the movies. Right? <laughs> yes. One of yes. the things I think is so cool is that in your filming of 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 Thelma and Louise, you talk a lot about how Susan Sarandon kind of Thelma and Louise deal, like helped you mm-hmm. learn how to stop dying for politeness. Can you talk about mm-hmm. that a little bit? She Louised me in real life. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, she's the sort of dominant aspect of the of the friendship. She's a more assertive person. And I had thought before either of us was cast that I could probably play Louise. I could play either part. You know, I'd be, I'd be a good Louise also. And then the second I met Susan, I was like, what was I thinking? Uh, because... She's so, as you can imagine, in, in person, she's so poised and confident and knows what she thinks. And, and uh, I was like, oh, my God. And it's so strange to think about, but I had never met or been in the presence or at least the extended presence of a woman who didn't start everything she says with, I don't know what you'll think. This is probably a stupid idea. So ignore me if it's no good. But could we possibly, you know, whatever. And I never said anything without putting, you know, a thousand qualifiers in front of it. And, uh, and she was profoundly not like that. The first day I met her, we were going through the script with Ridley just to see if we had any little ideas or whatever. And uh, on the first page, she said, you know what? I think we should just cut my first line. We don't need that. And I was like, Boing. And really just said, yeah, yeah, no, that's right. We, 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 and I was like, what am I witnessing here? Oh. Uh, you know, that she just said that and that he just completely behaved like that was, you know, normal. And I just couldn't believe it. And it seems so silly, you know, that I had such an extreme view of how much I could say mm-hmm. in life and um, that I had to be very, very careful to make sure that people liked me, that it would go away in an instant if, if, if I said or did something that people didn't like. So, yeah, I took a bath in uh, watching somebody move through the world in a very comfortable fashion. You know, It's <sighs> amazing that what the movie did for us. Yes. Is the same thing it was doing for you in yes. real life. Yes. In real life. Yeah, it wasn't immediately embraced as much as it is now, right? Didn't it take some time? Like many movies or people that are trailblazers, did it take some time for people to catch on to? No, it exploded. Oh. Uh, it was thirty-one okay. years ago. It absolutely exploded, um, which we didn't expect at all. Nobody making it thought, you know, whoa, wait till people get a load of this. We, we just hoped anybody would go and see mm. it because maybe they won't like that we drive off the cliff at the end. Oh, I gave the ending away. But, um, <laughs> Damn it! But we were like on the cover of Time Magazine pretty mm. much instantly, and there were editorials everywhere up and down about how this is a great thing. And this is the worst thing that's ever happened. Uh, It's saying that women have to have guns and and it's ruining everything. It's ruining the world. Mm -hmm. So uh, there were these extremes, but people were very, very opinionated Mm. about it. The sort of title on, on time magazine cover said uh, why Thelma Louise strikes a nerve. And Mm. that's how people perceived it, that it, that it either, struck a nerve in a good way uh, for you, or it was ruining society. Yeah. Like, yeah. like feminists. We were real like feminists it ruining was like society. Fe- once again, they strike again. <laughs> once again, yes. feminists ruin the world. Yes, exactly. which is actually what likely needs to happen. I keep thinking about it this week so much. I think one thing was to be able to see that, yes, the world does feel that dangerous to women in a way that we're all gaslit into thinking like whether it's abuse, whether it's catcalling, whether it's not being believed, whether it's being dismissed on the street with all the things that we got to see Thelma and Louise go through Mm -hmm. 
were so validating because we were just supposed to live that privately without anybody calling it out. Yeah. Right. Like you all did. Do you hear that often? Uh, Yes. I think that is what happened. I thought a lot about, okay, this is a movie where the lead characters kill themselves at the very end Mm -hmm. and women come out cheering. So how do you explain that? Mm. uh, You know, what's it about? And then of course have come to realize I've had plenty of time to think about it. um, That it's because we retain control of our lives to the bitter end. You know, we will not relinquish control because what any other ending People, people are saying, I love that movie so much, but it didn't have to end that way. Yes, it does. (laughs) Because we couldn't give up control of our lives again. We'd been through too, you know, too free to ever do that again. So it's the Alamo for women. Yeah. Yeah. It's the no surrender. Like we are not. Yeah. And it's the ultimate bodily autonomy moment, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. it's like this empowering, beautiful, but horrific thing that in this world, the way it is, if a woman does want to have full control over her life and herself, she cannot exist here. Yeah. Right. It's we we get away. We get away. We fly away. It's a metaphor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you are feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Their specialized recruiting professionals engage with their proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing, and creative legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So one of the things I think is so interesting is that one of the reactions to Thelma and Louise was there's too many guns, there's too many, there's too much violence, these violent women, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And then there was a chart, of course, that you actually put in your book that yeah. showed what was the movie that was out then lethal weapon or something Lethal weapon yeah. right oh my it was Ed- entertainment weekly they evidently thought it was so funny that people were saying this is the most violent movie it's so violent uh and so they made a chart comparing like number of bullets fired number of deaths uh number of kickboxing fights <laughs> <laughs> which lethal weapon did have uh and we didn't for deaths it was three including the two lead characters, mm-hmm. <laughs> including themselves. Right, themselves. And the lethal weapon was like, you know, 100, whatever. And the bullets, uh, I think it was like seven or something like that in, in, in Thelma Louise. And they said, well, it's about three or 400, but it's hard to count individual machine gun bullets. <laughs> so this has to be an approximation. I thought that was a hilarious way to make the point that what are you talking about? Yeah, and I wonder if that, at all was planted a seed for your future work with the foundation, seeing that chart, because years later, you're watching cartoons with your now 22-year-old daughter and you noticed 20, something. 20, yeah. Oh, okay, 20. Oh, we have an almost 20-year-old too. So you're watching <laughs> cartoons with her and you notice yeah. something 
which kicks off your whole next feminist Thelma and Louise situation. So can you tell us what you were, what you noticed? Well, yes. So she was uh, a little toddler and I thought, Oh, this will be fun. We'll watch a preschool show uh, for the first time. This will be great. And I have her on my lap and turn on what I think is going to be a great show. And within five minutes, maybe 10, I'm thinking, how many female characters are there on this show? And I'm Googling it while she's watching. And uh, and there was one female character and, and lots of male characters. And I was like, wait a minute. I was shocked. And then we watched some videos and we watched some animated movies and, and things like that. And I saw it everywhere. It was in everything. and. I didn't intend, like, oh, now I'm going to make this my life's mission. I'm going to, you know, <laughs> take this to the Olympics or something. But I couldn't find one other person who noticed what I noticed. Mm-hmm. Not my feminist friends who have daughters. And then nobody in the industry, because I have meetings all the time, I'd always ask people, have you even noticed how few female characters are, are appear in what's made for kids? And they all said, no, 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 that's not true anymore. And... Uh, a lot of times they would say, there's been Belle um, uh, <laughs> as proof that gender inequality. I have a Disney princess friend. Disney's doing a, a great job, better than anybody else, as far as that goes, especially in recent years. But who are the other female characters in that, mm-hmm. in that movie? You know, And plus she has Stockholm Syndrome, let's face it. Mm-hmm. So now I thought, OK, nobody sees what I'm seeing and therefore... It's completely unconscious. Mm -hmm. They do not know. In fact, they think quite the opposite of like, I'm not doing that. They think they are absolutely doing right by girls. And so I thought, all right, now I think if I could get the data, I could go directly to the creators because I'm, you know, I probably can get meetings with people and share it with them in a, in a private way. I don't have to educate the public uh, to, to convince them, you know, like a shaming version of it. Mm-hmm. I, it's this very positive version. I go there and say, hey, you know, I'm your friend. I want to keep working with you. Hire me, please. And also, what do you think about this? Uh, let me share this data with you. And the first meeting we had uh, was like every other meeting we've ever had, except for people that have heard of what we do. Uh, which is their jaws are on the ground. They had no idea they were leaving out that many female characters. And it was so profoundly unequal. So I had the advantage that it's unconscious, so data will help. Mm -hmm. The people making kids entertainments do it because they love kids. And so Mm -hmm. this could very well have an impact. And it turns out it did. Mm -hmm. And the numbers have changed. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're very excited about that. And what you noticed was what we were seeing on screen was not even representative of the world. It's not like you were saying, Mm -hmm. put more girls in than boys, because you were just saying, let it reflect the actual world. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And I think about like you as a kid feeling like, I always think the the best leadership or, or use of a life always is like, what did I need then when I was younger that I didn't have and then creating mm. it. And it's so interesting when you think kids are watching TV and they're not seeing girls take up any space, the rooms they're seeing, the classrooms, the cartoons, they are literally seeing spaces where boys are taking up all the space and there's two little girls in the corner. Don't you think that could be tied to all of us girls feeling like we can't even exist in rooms that just even are barely being there is taking up too much space because we're not reflected in these media spaces? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, we we were trained to have 
unconscious bias, uh, you know, women and men, we all have it. Mm-hmm. Now, we actually have changed the numbers. We, you know, the great thing about what we're doing is you can measure whether it's working or not. Mm-hmm. And so we have now reached uh, parity in the lead characters in kids' TV and kids' movies. We still have a little work to do on uh, in the worlds and also other profoundly underrepresented segments of society, but we are, it is going in the right direction. So that's very Congratulations exciting. on that. When you started this work, it was 11%. And just yeah. last year, it's 50-50 parodies. Yeah. In, China, in, uh, China work, Davis. So. China, China Davis, Davis and Davis. Davis. <laughs> China, right, can it. you tell us about the Thank CSI you. effect? Like CSI mm. effect? Yes. Yes. So uh, we studied the occupations of female characters on television, on, on, on all television. And, uh, and there was one occupation that was, it, this is what, you know, closer to when we started, it was very well represented. I would never have to lobby people to add more uh, female forensic scientists <laughs> because there were all those CSI shows and bones and all that stuff. And it turned out in real life that women were um, studying uh, forensic science in college to an extraordinary degree. Suddenly, you know, it went up to like 63% of people. Uh, they had to add courses in forensic science because there was such a high demand from women because they saw it on TV. Wait a minute, I can be a forensic scientist? How amazing. I am going to be that, you know. So our motto is if she can see it, she can be it. So mm-hmm. it actually works. And didn't you find that 58% of women who were currently in STEM um, studies at the time of your research, they named Dana Scully from X-Files specifically as the reason that they were inspired to go into STEM? That's right. That's right. I can't remember if it was 58% or 63%, but that's one character from one show. And 58% 58% of, of the women in STEM name that. I mean, imagine if there were more. We could change everything if we just showed that, made it normal. If we normalize yes. that women and men, you know, tell everybody can do whatever that is. You know? And that's so important. I feel like that piece, because you're saying, please let this pretend scenario that you're putting up on screen through TV intentionally reflect reality. You're not right. saying yes. give us something we that isn't even true yet so we can aspire right. to it. You're saying mm-hmm. you are actually working in a retroactive way on our society's progress because you're not even showing us as we currently exist in the world. Right, right. I mean, what we're asking for is in was profoundly not controversial. It's just simply, you know, reflect the world. The most shocking statistics are about occupations, because let's say for um, judges and lawyers in the real world, it's something like 25% are are women. And on screen, it's in movies, it's something like 15 to one. And so however abysmal the numbers are in real life, it's far worse in fiction where you make it up anything you want, but they don't even reflect the sad reality. <laughs> so it's kind of shocking. Everyone That's very, amazing. Very shocking. But then if they did want to be a little more 
hopeful that life would imitate art if we put progressive situations on the screen. You also proved with Commander in Chief. I love when that you show this, so much. And by the way, I have been saying this fact in in meetings for like five years. I heard you say this a long time ago, but the the show Commander in Chief, where you played a woman president. Tell us about the poll that was done between Democrats and Republicans after watching the show, just watching the show, the fake show about a woman president. Yeah. For, for one season, by the way, one season. only a group called Kaplan Thaler did a survey and found that again, something like 60% of Democrats and Republicans said they were more likely to vote for a female candidate for president mm-hmm. um, because of watching that show. So if only I had had two terms. Exactly. <laughs> My administration was so short. Yeah. Uh, Dang it. World changing, it. though. Exactly. World changing. We might not have to wait to put women presidents on TV until we have a woman president. We might have to put women presidents on TV so we can have a woman president. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. <clears throat> Bring my show back. Yes. Back come on. Come on, people. Actually, you know, I was thinking if I'm, I mean, I'm a good age still to be president. I'm a, a perfect age. You're a good so, age for anything. That's that's right. Right. So let's say, let's assume I didn't get elected and time has gone by and I realize I got to come back in. They need me. And, and, uh, and then the show goes back on the air. Yay. Yes. <laughs> let's go. How yes. do we make that let's happen? Go. Well, and tell, I know. speaking of, of characters on TV that allow you to become what you eventually will be. Please tell Gina about your Dottie obsession. Well, you know, when A League of Their Own was released, I went and saw it and it's been the the kind of movie that I play over and over again and I never get sick of it. There's like five <laughs> in my life. Yeah. And I was just telling Amanda and Glennon this before we got on, that movie had such an impact on my life because the way that, Dottie was, Gina, you and I are both big, tall women, right? And I totally relate to all of the stuff you were saying earlier. And I don't want to be the singled out one in the class. I kind of want to fit in because I've always Mm -hmm. been, you know, the grass is always greener. So when I saw this Dottie Hinson be not only badass, but also humble. Right. That to me, I was so afraid of being big because of this idea that I'd be cocky seeming. Mm. And I was always one of the best ones on my team. And so I just told them that I kind of dictated a lot of the, the, the leadership style that I had and much of what I saw Dottie bring to the Georgia wow. peaches. Yeah. Wow. I, I, she was in your book. I ran, I ran your book over to Abby Wambach and said, you made it in Gina Davis. I was so excited. I was so excited. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I know. I should have asked you if that was okay. Of course it Are is. Are you kidding? It, it was, was so such exciting. an honor. I was, I mean, listen, like to have played for so many years for our country, um, having you as this inspiration that like always kind of lived inside of me, that, that to me is like a, a, one of the most special things. Oh, Abby, thank you. Thank you. That's incredible. Thank and you're you. also a badass athlete of your own. In oh, your own well, right. Well, well, well. Yes. <laughs> well, because you know, it's not so light to talk Say about. 
<laughs> I mean, at what were you, 38 when you started taking up archery? Yeah, 41, yeah. 41. Okay, this is, I was actually just said this before to Glennon. I said, I wonder what Olympic sport I could try try out for now. And she said, none, you can't. Too busy. <laughs> Too busy. No, 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 no. Well, archery is profoundly not age dependent. Profoundly huh. not. Okay. Anybody, any age can do it. And I took it up at 41. And my coach said right in the beginning that it could actually be an advantage to never have done it because- um, most archers have shot, you know, their whole childhood and whatever, and you, you learned bad habits. You didn't have good technique and you have to change that. So then when you're nervous, you might slip back into your old habits. Mm. And he said, but you're not going to have any bad habits to slip back into because mm. you didn't never shoot before. We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Speaking of that coach and teaching you, you talk about a time where you were taking, is it called a shot? Taking a shot? What do you call it? Yeah. When you're arching. Yeah, you were taking arching. a shot. Taking she was backstage. You were backstage. backstage taking a shot and it wasn't a good one. And your coach said, yeah. what were you just thinking when you took that shot? And you right. realized for the first time that you were thinking terrible things about yourself. Like, I right. suck. I'm horrible at this. Right. And right. you <laughs> only realized that that was like a constant loop in your head when yeah. he pointed that out. Was right. that true in other aspects of your life with that kind of negative self-talk? Was it specific to that or would, did that pervade everywhere? Oh no, it was, it was a running, uh, I mean, every, every, every minute was negative, negative, negative self-talk about everything, mm. but I didn't realize, I, I just kind of wasn't aware of it. And so but once I became aware of it, when I was shooting, then I'd go back to my normal life and realize, oh, I'm doing it in this situation too. I'm doing it on the set. I'm saying, I'm a, people are going to find out I'm a fake actress. I don't know what I'm doing there at all. <laughs> laughing and you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And uh, so I'd started paying attention to that. And he probably helped me with this technique, but I, if I heard myself say something like, you're an embarrassment, you suck, or you did something wrong, I'd say, no, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm doing the best I can. I'm doing the best I can. That was, you know what? That was fine. I'm just doing the best I can. And uh, so a lot of that has gone away now. A lot oh. of that has gone away. I love that. My therapist is teaching me, those are just neural pathways. You can change them if you just stop wow. the thought and then you say a new one. You're just digging a new tunnel for your brain to start. It'll just, it'll, your brain goes to the least resistance. So if you've been saying you suck, you suck, you suck your whole life, that's where it'll go. But if you work hard to arrest it, say, nope, doing my best, eventually you'll start going there. I also want to just say for clarity, you were able to um, become the 13th best archer in our country. Trying to make an Olympic team. I just want to be clear. That's that what at, positive self-talk will do. 41 Wombok. years old. You started a sport and became 
a top 13 sporter, a top (laughs) top 13 (laughs) archer. That's just out of my mindset. After two years, she's like, yeah. how about I'll try this? Well, wasn't well, maybe it her I'll second lesson? Wasn't it her second lesson? It was her first she, lesson. Her first lesson where she turned to the teacher and said, what do I have to do to become an Olympian? <laughs> no, no. I said, uh, how old is too old to go to the Olympics? Uh- Archer? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he says, I asked it at the first lesson. I can't imagine that I... <laughs> That I really did. I must have waited till the second lesson. Yeah. To, yeah. Uh, that was that would an outrageous question. Because I hadn't touched a bow, meanwhile. I hadn't touched it yet, let alone knew that I might be good at it. You know? Oh my I gosh. have a Dottie question. Can we go back to Dottie for a second? I was rethinking about Dottie when I was reading your book. And it's so she obviously everyone knows she has this husband she adores. She's the best ball player on the field. She becomes the face of the league. And she it's just very good things happen to her seemingly easily. Mm-hmm. And then you, Gina Davis, your first ever audition <laughs> lands you in a role in an Oscar winning film. And mm. then you, 41, yep. damn near make the um, Olympic team. You are literally a genius. <laughs> and I'm just wondering, <laughs> to the outside world, it might look like you, like Dottie, make a lot yeah. of hard things look easy. And I'm just wondering, what is hard for you? Mm. What has come hard Mm. and not come easy? Where is the struggle in a world full of kits? Want to know, Gina? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm I'm struggling hard to figure out what that would be. Uh, So that's a struggle. Use it. Use it. I mean, I mean so much, but actually it's sort of the journey that I talk about in the book which is I've narrowed down what my mission in life is, which is to close the gap Mm. between when something happens and when I react authentically to it. Uh, Because there's such a huge, huge, huge gap. Usually I think a few days later, I think of what I could have said. And then, but, but slowly and slowly until, you know, actually a certain percentage of time now, I will say the right thing at the right time. <laughs> I would say exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's the goal. I mean, but it's still very uh, out of reach in, in some ways. It feels to me journey. like one of the themes of this podcast is always that we, ha- we learn these rules when we're little that keep us safe in our family. You learned you don't say the thing. Mm-hmm. You are polite. And you, even if you're going to die, you don't say the thing. And then as an adult, in order to be free, we have to break those rules, like Mm. specifically again and again. So what you're saying is your life goal is to break the rule you learned as a kid, which is to say the thing in the moment that you need to say to have integrity, to, to have your insides match your outside. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I never thought about it that way, but that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Mm. Giving myself permission or finding a way to, I think it's better the way you said it, break that and change, change that dynamic. Yeah, for sure. Because you said something about the spirit of the staircase. I love that. So I never yes. heard of that before. Tell us what the spirit of the staircase is. Well, I only learned that, that phrase recently. Uh, l'esprit, l'esprit, I can't do a French accent. L'esprit d'escalier. 
um, is, uh, is is literally uh, having regret on the staircase. So you've left the whatever it was party or whatever, and only when you're leaving do you realize what you could have said or should have said. Yes. So uh, uh, yeah, that's that's, that's what I this, lived. Mine's the spirit <laughs> of the shower. When I am in the yeah. shower, I am so freaking amazing, Gina. I say all the things. I slay. I just but it's only in retrospect. So this idea, we call it like smushing the gap between the knowing and the doing. Like when you- Squishing? Squishing, like squishing the gap. Squishing. Yeah, yeah. You said there was a moment, and I just love this example so much. There was a man who hugged you and he said, great to feel up Gina Davis. Oh God. Oh yeah. It was on this project that everybody hugged. Good morning. It was completely normal. And I was hugging this person. And he said, ah, oh, my favorite part of the day when I get to feel up Gina Davis. And he wasn't feeling me. We were just hugging. But I instantly said, oops, that's inappropriate. And uh, in a rather humorous way, but, you know, very specific. And he was horrified. Oh, my God. No, no, no. What are you talking about? No, uh, no, it wasn't. I'm a, I'm a feminist. No, 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 no. I have so much respect. And I would never, I would never. And all day he kept coming back to it about... Mm how I took it completely wrong. And, and whatever. I, I was like, Hey, no, but I'm not, no big deal. I just, you know, it, it's no big deal. I just said what I think and it's, it's all cool. I'm not mad or anything. It's just, you know, mm. a fact. But <laughs> a fact. that's that the power of the unspoken thing. Everyone has mm-hmm. agreed that no one's going to speak it. And, and your offense was saying the thing out loud that everybody knew it was wildly mm-hmm. inappropriate, but if you don't say it, it's sure. not real. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Exactly. It. Exactly. And it, it's a moment that really stood out in my mind because it was <clears throat> one of the signal moments or one of the one of the first moments where I literally said what I wanted to say right on top of when it happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, I want to feel this. Yes. This is so awesome. <laughs> yeah, it is so awesome. What does it feel like? Amazing. How does it feel in your body? It just feels. I was so happy and proud of myself. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, oh man, well, because I had achieved my goal, you know, and one, one, uh, one instance at a time uh, is, is, is what I'm trying to do. It seems like you guys know what I'm talking about. It's so awful to only think later yeah. mm-hmm. what you could have thought, said or done, you know. And it's usually just you let yourself be uncomfortable so that somebody else could maintain some level of comfort that they never should have had in the first place. That's right. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, I think we have our next right thing, pod squatters. I think we're going to, well, let's see. This is how um, Gina says it. I've come to believe that the whole point of my life is to close the gap between when something happens to me and when I react authentically to it. So beautiful. And if that's too hard, we're just going to stop telling ourselves we suck. And instead we're going to say, nope, I'm doing my best. That's right. I'm doing my best. best I I love the oops strategy too. That's really disarming for like someone like me who that feels like very Herculean to do what you're saying. Oops. Like like we can all agree. You just made a boo-boo. Oopsie Daisy, that's inappropriate. Oopsie Daisy, you're an asshole. That's inappropriate. That might be better for me, right? Then motherfucker, back off. I'm going to start with oops. It was sort of uh, uh, affectionate and cheerful. (laughs) You made a mistake. Yes. Gina, if you do decide to run for actual president, 
Yes. Yeah. We will be on your campaign. That's right. Okay. We awesome. are grateful for you and who you are in the world and we're behind you. Thank you for um, leading the way. Right. Totally. Oh, oh God. Oh God. Oh God. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. That's very kind of you. Thank Pod you. Squad, we will see you back here next time. Bye. I give you Tish Melton and Brandy Carlisle. I walked through fire, I came out the other side. I chased desire, I made sure I got what's mine. And I continued to Thank you.
Things is produced in partnership with Cadence 13 Studios. Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Especially be sure to rate and review the podcast if you really liked it. If you didn't, don't worry about it. It's fine.